Morning, everybody. God bless the state of Alabama. Yeah, that's better. Praise God. Yesterday, I thought I was in Georgia. God bless Georgia, sugar. Uh, we hadn't been married but a few months. And, uh, I'm a big Tennessee football fan. I always have been, even when they didn't have a team worth looking at. I, I pull for the big orange all the time. But uh, when I wasn't pulling for Tennessee, I was pulling for Alabama. My dad was, my dad was a big Bear Bryant fan, so we pulled for Alabama every weekend except the third weekend in October when they'd play Tennessee. And my dad would lose his salvation every Saturday and uh, have to get saved again on Sunday morning after that game. And so uh, anyhow, I was watching Alabama football game. They're playing Georgia. I didn't know. And so I'm cheering. She said, who are you cheering for? I said, what? I'm watching the football game. Who are you cheering for? I'm cheering for Alabama. You're cheering for Alabama? I said, yeah. Well, I'm from Georgia. I don't care. <laughs> I, got, I got a bunch of ignorant cousins in Georgia. I never pulled for Georgia. I don't like Georgia. Pulled for Tennessee. I pulled for Alabama. And she stormed off to the bedroom, and that's all I can tell about that story. <laughs> but that Christmas, we didn't have the Star of David on our Christmas tree. We had a Georgia baseball cap and a lot of Georgia decorations. <laughs> I am now a Georgia fan. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> yeah, we all. Praise God. Uh, I'm going to teach on parenting, but it won't sound like it. Uh, God had kids in mind from day one. He told Adam, he said, be fruitful. <laughs> Whoa. Multiply. Take dominion. Subdue. And so kids were God's idea from the beginning. Now, you don't have to have kids to make you holy. Having kids won't make you holy. It'll make you insane and broke. If you don't know what to do with them, they show up. But I grew up in a big family, and I always wanted a big family. So uh, my dad had 12 brothers and sisters, so did my father-in-law. So my dad got married. He said, I want uh, one each. God made two kinds, boys and girls. I want one each. That's all I want. And so uh, so my father-in-law, small family. Well, when I got married, I said, no, I want a big family. I want somebody to take me to dinner on Sunday. Somebody to send me on a cruise, buy me a Winnebago. And, uh, and people think I'm joking. I've told our kids their whole life, and angel knows, I've told our kids, don't you ever buy anything for me for my birthday or Christmas that fits in a box. <laughs> I, go to, I go to Walmart by myself. You, you buy me something, either, either drive it up the driveway, it better be a cruise going somewhere. So I've got a pickup truck and two cruises out of that deal. And so every Christmas, my kids will say, hey, Dad, we're saving up. Big Winnebago, baby. I want the big one. And uh, I expect them. The Bible says parents let for the children, children let for the parents. So I've told them their whole life, you owe me. And so, and now when they left home, I want them to leave home. I mean, we're going to birth you and bathe you and teach you how to walk and talk and pass out and diagram a sentence and uh, get you a date for the prom and going to get you into college and, you know, fix your crooked teeth and buy you your first car and, and come to graduation and we'll pay for your honeymoon. After that, I'm not paying you nothing. <laughs> I'm not joking. I told them, they all, all my adult kids, I don't owe you a dime. You owe me. <laughs> and I told them, I'll chase you down. You owe me. Now, I don't need you, but you owe me. And it's just the right thing to do. You owe me. So, big checks. <laughs> you see, I'm not joking. 
because if you don't tell them, kids get mad. They'll get mad and say, I'll be glad when I'm out of here. And I had one kid do that one time, my oldest. She was the quietest. She was the nicest. Got her doctor. She's a college professor today. But one day she got mad in the kitchen. I heard a tone I hadn't heard before. So I stepped in the kitchen. We had a big old barn house out in the country, so we had a couple of French doors. I stepped through the French doors and said, what did you just say to your mother? And she said, that's between mom and me. I said, oh, no, no, honey, you don't understand. See, mom and I, we're forever. You're just passing through. <laughs> so when you talk to your mother, you're talking to me. So what did you say to your mom? She said, I'll be glad when I'm out of here. Well, dear Lord, that's been the goal since you left your mother's womb, sure. <laughs> I mean, that's been the goal from day one. I thought you were going to stick around four more years and go to college. If you're not, praise God, that's going to save me a lot of money. So I was mad. I went upstairs and grabbed a suitcase, came downstairs and threw it open on the kitchen table. And I said, now, what can we put in here? <laughs> and I thought a minute, because everybody knows dad's mad, so everybody's quiet in the house. I said, well, I guess nothing, because you don't own the thing you got on. I own everything. So and what can you drive? Because there's four vehicles to drive. Well, there's eight of us, and everybody's driving. So what can you drive? So, well, I own everything in the driveway, so I guess if you leave now, you're going buck naked and barefoot. <laughs> I want to stick around and get some clothes in your own car. And she did. It worked out really good. But there are times in parenting you thought, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? What, what are they going to leave? Because I got a lot of relatives and some. I got one that's got a, got a 42-year-old son still living with him. He's a nice kid. He don't have to leave. Dad's paying for everything. If I was that kid, I'd stay there. <laughs> Dad made big money, got a big house, and he got a nice car. Why would I leave? It's easy right here. But the goal is to give them back to God. Children are a gift from God. They're not mine. Amen. They're a gift from God. God gave them to me. I'm to train them up and give them back. So that's why I told my kids, I'm supposed to give it back to God. I don't care if you leave home and I never see you again until the rapture. I'll be a happy man. Just send me a postcard every day. Hey, Dad, doing good. God bless you. All right. But no, sometimes they want to come over and camp out with you. And so I'm not trying to be funny, but I told my kids, don't you ever, at every wedding, I told every one of my adult kids at every wedding, put your door key in my hand. Give me your door key and don't you ever come back to my house unless I invite you. <laughs> now, I'm a good dad. I'm great. Now, I'm like Santa Claus stuck upside down their chimney and they know it. I blessed you, fixed your cooking tea. We're on great vacations, cruises. I've been good to you. But that just ended. You now owe me. We're going to reverse the flow. <laughs> and so I told them, I said, uh, you owe me. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. <laughs> now, you're still laughing, but I'm very serious. Because part of training them up is let them know you're now responsible for me. Parents left for the children, children left for the parents. You're now, I'm fine. I'm, God's blessed me. I'm, I'm a blessed man. But you still, you still check in every now and then. Hey, Dad, you need anything? Mm, not right now. I'll let you know. And that makes them nervous. Oh, dear Lord. It's a great passage we're going to read. This is that, it's parenting. It won't sound like it, but it's parenting. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 20. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Now, when I cross the Mason-Dixon line going south, I have to tell people. I have not left the King James. I still study King James. I still read King James, but I don't speak King James. I speak modern English. So I read from the New Living Translation. It's like a greased banana peel. It moves really smooth. 
so I don't struggle when I read it. So I'm reading from the New Living. I'm not lost my salvation, but I'm reading from the New Living Translation. <laughs> Verse 20 of chapter 20 of Matthew. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also known as the sons of thunder, like a biker gang. They got a big bass on the back. Well, yeah, I'm the sons of thunder. <laughs> Whoa. They came to Jesus. She came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. Now, this is the mom. The sons of thunder had a mom. Now, the 12 apostles are following Jesus around. They're doing ministry at three and a half years. And so, one group of boys had their mother with them. They did. It's in the Bible. They did. And so, she came down. She knelt down to ask a favor. What is your request, Jesus asked. She replied, in your kingdom. Please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Whoa. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they said, we are. Jesus said, well, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he's chosen. I don't even know who's going to sit there. I don't pick that. My father picks that. When the other ten disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. That means they're mad. That's northern for mad. (laughs) But Jesus called them together and he said, You know the rulers of this world lorded over their people and their officials. They flaunt their authority over those under them. Among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So one of the things I learned about parenting, kids are born thumb-sucking selfish. I, me, me, I, I, my, 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 mine, I, me, me, I, mine. So they have to be trained. Now, it was pretty easy for us. Now, the average American family's got 2.6 people. I don't know how that figures out, but most of you have a couple of kids. Most everybody's got a couple. Uh, some have one, but most have at least two. Some went wild and had three. <laughs> and so, uh, so I've been, I've been, I've had the rudest thing said to me. People ask me. We were in Shoney's one time, and the lady, the waitress, said, "I got all six kids at the table," and she said, "Are all these yours?" <laughs> she said, "No, just three of them." We saw these three on the side of the interstate. They looked hungry. We thought we'd just come feed them. <laughs> yeah, they're all ours. And so people ask in restaurants across America, are you Catholic? <laughs> no. Are you Mormon? No. Well, who are you? I said, we're backsliding Baptist. <laughs> but we grew up in the country, and we grew up on a farm. And so my grandmother got married when she was 15 had her first baby before she turned 16. She dropped 12 in a row. She'd have had 20, but Grandpa died in the mines. <laughs> and it's a true story. <laughs> so we had children to put them to work. We're not trying to show off. We're having kids to put them to work. Manual labor, provide your own. So we all worked from a young age. I mean, we were young, young milking cows and going out and getting the eggs out of the egg house and the hen house. And it's always, when you grow up in the country, we were on a 400 acre farm in East Tennessee in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in a town called Turtle Town. It's, it's on the map. You can find it. It's a suburb of Ducktown. 
which is a suburb of Copper Hill. It's in the middle of nowhere. And so we, don't, we had one country store, Nichols Country Store, and it was about three miles from the farm, and it had everything. It was the first Walmart. You need gasoline, you get it at Nicholson's. You need butter, buy it at Nicholson's. You need feed for your, your, your cows, get it at Nicholson's. They had everything. They were the first Walmart. And so we loved living out there, but we did everything. We, we plucked our own chickens. I won't say it, Angel. We, we killed everything, plucked it, shot it, hung it, dried it, stored it, and canned it. <laughs> then we had a basement full of canned food. Uh, we never went to the store. We grew our own stuff. We had over an acre right next to the house. We grew everything. I mean, everything, okra, squash, potatoes. I mean, you name it. We had tomatoes everywhere. And so we grew own food. Had two huge pecan trees. So we had pecan pies every Christmas. We got pecans everywhere. And I thought, we lived good. So we thought that was normal. So, you know, when I was five, we're milking a cow. That's normal. I remember we had a camp. We were at Tulsa Camp Dry Gulch. We'd have kids come to camp from all over America. Parents would spend money, put them on a plane, come out and dry gulch. So we realized that most of these kids are from the city. One thing you let them do is ride a horse. They never even seen a horse, so we ride them a horse for thirty minutes one day, and we let them milk a cow. They'd never seen a cow, and so we're going to milk a cow today. So they got the little cup. Every kid's got a long line. <laughs> Get the cows in the barn. You got a long line. Okay, it's your turn. Sit on the stool and reach up on there and grab that udder and squeeze it out. Well, you know, if kids are kind of get stuck. Okay, you're through. You're through. I'm trying to move him. Well, this other kid got in the seat right behind him, took that cup and shoved it right under another. <laughs> and he was working. Around. I wasn't paying attention to that guy. Look at him. He found the other other. And he looked up and he said, which one's chocolate? <laughs> I'm not making that up. Well, son, uh, this doesn't have a chocolate right here. It's all, it's all just pure milk milk. And so we realized we, we kind of grew up in a society that changed. For 5,000 years, nothing changed on this planet. It didn't. But about 120 years ago, everything changed. Electricity showed up, automobiles, radio, TV, dance hops, you want to name it, everything changed. It's moving like a freight train right now. And so computers, I mean, it's, the world's moving. God's not changed, but people have changed. So I realized some in parenting, I want my kids to be successful in life. You leave my home, I don't want you moving back in with me three years later and bringing the idiots with you. <laughs> now, I'm not being funny. I'm very serious. I said, you leave my home, you stay gone. Bye. God bless you. You don't come back. Because I'm going to turn every room into something else. You better be gone the day you leave. I promise you. So I turned it into an office and done stuff. So I realized parenting, what are you doing? I'm preparing them to leave. I'm getting you ready to leave. So I need you to start thinking like an adult early. Early. Well, in America, we don't want them to become an adult. You know, in the Jewish culture, when you turn 13, you're an adult, and they have a party saying so. But in America, you know, you turn 13, you wear your hat backwards, wear your britches around your ankles, and play loud music. I'm not making fun. It's just what we did. We all went whack. I grew up, man, in the 60s. I remember back then, you know, we wearing flowers in our hair and barefoot and smoking strange stuff. <laughs> there was a lot of them. I mean, it's like, whoa. So 
What I learned was an adult, according to Scripture, Jesus is teaching, an adult somebody that serves. When do you know you're a mature adult? When you learn how to serve other people. Because most people are selfish, thumb suckers. But a, a true adult in God's eyes is somebody that serves their fellow man. You're an adult when you can serve others and not say, I, me, me, and I. You're an adult when you walk in the room and say, how can I help? You're an adult when you can go into the family room and say, hey, can I cook something? Can I mow some grass? Can I clean the toilet? You volunteer to help. That is an adult. So you're trying to, I'm trying to produce an adult. So, let's finish up what Jesus is sharing here. He said, and the other disciples, they heard it and they got mad. And Jesus said, when he closed, he said, listen, you want to be first, you must become a slave. You want to lead, you got to serve. So my deal was, the sooner you start serving, the better off you're going to be. So we trained them early at my house. I want you to do the dishes. It took a year and a half to get my house away from my wife because my wife had turned into a housewife. And my house had stole my wife. Fell in love, got married, sucking himself into his face. But then all of a sudden started dropping babies, and all of a sudden she became a housewife. My house stole my wife. Well, I need to get my wife back. Where's your wife? My house got her. It's always <laughs> something to clean, cook. You know, vacuum, whatever. And so I realized one day, ah, this is wrong. And so it took a year and a half, but I eventually got my house back. I gave my house to my children. You have the dishes till Jesus comes. You're the dishwasher. You have the upstairs bathroom. You got the downstairs bathroom. You're going to mow the grass. You're going to do the laundry. You're going to fold the towels. And so I gave my house to my kids. Now it took a year and a half. It did. But finally, my wife could come home and sit on, next to me on the couch. What's happened? Well, they're in there cooking dinner. Well, they cook. Hey, we all cooking. I'd ask him because we trained him. I'm training you to be an adult, an adult, not a thumb sucking forty year old teenager. Now I still make fun, and I shouldn't. Please forgive me, but I'm just redneck enough. I can do it. We get on so many planes. We fly all the time, Mason. I do. And so we're somewhere. We're in a different city. Sometimes two different cities every weekend. And so I see these guys get on the plane, and they got their hat on backwards. And they have their glasses on backwards behind their head. I said, you know why they put that bill on that cap? It was to keep the sun out of your eyes. Are you afraid you're going to get a sunburn on your neck? Is that a neck burn cap? Now I'm making fun, but you understand how society starts to move. And, we, and you've got to do strange things to kind of hold steady. You don't make fun of anybody. You don't judge anybody. But we're going to live different. Remember to be somebody and serve somebody. And every time you walk in the room, I want you to do something special. So I'm going to give you this. This is a great scripture. This is in Luke chapter 2. I've taught this for years. This is when Jesus was 12. And uh, <laughs> so uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, jumping at verse 40. It says, Jesus, he's 12 years old. When the child Jesus grew up, he grew up healthy. He grew up strong. He was filled with wisdom. God's favor was on him. Well, I like to say about my kids, well, what do we know about your kids, Joe? Well, they grew up healthy, they grew up strong, they were filled with wisdom, and they have God's favor on them. Well, what parent wouldn't want that? Where's your kids at? Well, they're in the north end of a southbound mule, and they're locked up in juvenile right now. They got drunk last weekend, lost their license, got arrested. We all have family, we've all dealt with it. 
everybody that's got a human in the family dealt with this in some form or fashion. What happens? Well, they need to be trained. They have to be trained, and it's not an overnight deal. You better do what you're right. That's not going to do anything, <laughs> you know. And don't ever take your child into their past. You always, you never, you should have, you could have. They don't have a time machine. They can't change their past. So don't ever take your kid into the past that's cheating. Take your kids into their future. Well, let's think, I think we can do this better next time. So here's a short story, and it's about how to parent. It's about Jesus. Verse 41, Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. It's an eight-day festival, big deal. Four-day march there, four-day march back home. They go there for the uh, Passover festival. When Jesus was 12, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. When he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. So the essence is, they go to Jerusalem. The festival ends at noon on the eighth day. At noon, everybody packs up, grabs their donkeys, their camels, and their bags. They head home. They're going many directions out of Jerusalem. Well, they're going back to Nazareth. It's a four-day walk. You go, so they go about four hours, and you stop because sun's going to go down. They leave at noon, time one before they get out of there. You make camp around 5 o'clock, 5.30, put up the tent, feed the camels, get the donkey tied up, build a fire, cook the food. It's busy because there's no ray back flashlights. There's no lights. It's going to get dark. So, <laughs> Mary gets everything ready. Now, by this time, Jesus has two younger brothers. She says, okay, let's get the kids here, and they've got to feed them. So, Joseph gets the boys in, and Mary's feeding them. And she said, well, where's Jesus? And Joseph, well, I hollered for him. Well, go get him. The food's going to get cold. Well, Joseph disappears. Well, he didn't come back for hours. He gets laid. It's dark. Kids are asleep. Joseph comes in the tent. Where have you been? Well, I've been looking for Jesus. Well, get him in here. The food's cold. Well, he's not here. What? Yeah, he's not here. I've been from one of them camp back twice. And I think we left him in Jerusalem. Now, they don't record the conversation. It was tense. We left him in Jerusalem? We left the Son of God. We couldn't have left one of these. We lose that one. Of all the kids to leave, we lose that one. What kind of father are you? What kind of mother are you? They yelled all night. It was, it was exciting. So the next morning, they hand the kids off to relatives. They hoof it four hours back to Jerusalem. We lost the Son of God. We lost the Son of God. So they didn't have pictures. Hey, have you seen this kid? He's 12. Where's, you seen him? There's no photographs. So for three days, they're looking for Jesus. What do you look for a 12-year-old kid? Pooh Hall, Bowling Alley, Movie Theater? I don't know. And they're exhausted. Three days later, they can't find the Son of God. You know, Silent Night, Holy Night, the angels, all that. Remember that? <laughs> so they can't find the Son of God. And so they're sitting there thinking, we're going to burn in hell. <laughs> we're going to burn in hell. We've lost the Son of God. We couldn't even keep up with the Son of God. We're going to burn in hell. <laughs> so Joseph. Well, you know, we've not looked in the temple. You know, he, he's not normal. Mary said, what? Yeah, let's, let's check the temple. And they walk into the temple. There sits Jesus, astounding the religious leaders with his questions and his answers. Mary walks in. The first thing she says, why have you done this to your father and I? Because when moms get mad, they drag dad in on the conversation. <laughs> Just doesn't care. He's the one who gets home. Get the kid. Let's go. We're four days late already. 
And so Jesus said this, know ye not, I need to be about my father's business. And I would say he was astounding the leaders with his questions and his answers. And Mary didn't know what to say. So the Bible says Jesus went with them and he went home with them. Verse 52, it says, Jesus grew. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, favor with God, favor with man. Well, if Jesus needs to grow, I thought, my kids need to grow. And so I'm working on trying to get my kids to grow up. I want you to grow up. You need to grow up. And one day my wife got married. I said, what's wrong with my kids? And my wife said, go look in the mirror. They're just like you. You reproduce yourself, good measure, pressed down, shaking and running over. They don't listen to the word you say like you don't listen to the word I say. Oh, help me, Jesus. So I had to change. Now, I didn't change overnight. It took about a year. I began to change and realize they're doing what I do, not what I say. They're watching me, how I talk, how I act, how I react, how I stay calm, how I get mad, how I forgive, how I don't forgive, how I judge other people, how I don't judge other people. Everything comes out of my mouth. They're paying attention to And they will remember the doggone things. Hey, Dad, remember when you said this? I didn't say that. Yes, you did. <laughs> and they'll quote you in the doggone places. So I realized I've got to change. I've got to change me. So we go to this. So it's real simple. This is the whole parenting seminar. Jesus grew in wisdom. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 4, wisdom is the principal thing. It's the main thing. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you liberally and upbraideth not. How do you get wisdom? You got to take a test. You got to get a higher IQ. You know, you got to run fast. No, you just ask God. He's got all the wisdom. If you ask him, he'll give it to you. And he'll give it liberally. So nobody has an excuse for not being wise. And so the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom, Psalm 34, 11. How does wisdom start? You have to fear God. Where's the start? The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. Ever how you get it, how you're going to get it, it starts with fearing God. So I thought, well, I'm not an old engineer. I think I'm methodical. So I thought, well, the most important thing is fearing God. So for my six kids, I need you to fear God. Now, how are you going to do that? Scare you. Yeah, you burn hell if you don't want to try. No, wrong kind of fear. So I had to start praying, Father, I give you permission. Teach my children to fear you every day. Angels know we prayed every day. We got eight kids. Prayed every father, we give you permission. Teach our children to fear you, for the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. With that wisdom, Proverbs 3 16 comes long life, riches, and honor. What do you want? I want my kids to live a long time. I've been to funerals of teenagers, it's just wrong. It's not right. God promised long life, but long life. With long life, would he satisfy you? Show him your salvation. So you got to learn how to have a long life. How do you do it? Well, you need to fear God. So I said, well, we'll help them. So my kids know. And they know if I ever talk to them. If, whenever we have any conversation, by the way, I pray for you every day that you fear God. Every day. Every day. I don't miss that. Father, teach our children for you. The fear of God is the beginning. And with that wisdom comes long life, comes riches. You're going to get your own money and quit spending mine. You're going to leave my house and get you a good job and a big house and a boat that I can borrow <laughs> and a big Winnebago you'll let me use. <laughs> I'm not joking. I say these things. You owe me. So wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get some. 
So wise people live a long time. Now, this is all in Proverbs. I've got a little mini book out on the table. At least four kinds of people. Wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. So wise people live a long time. Uh, they're filthy, stinking rich. They have favor of those in authority. They can scale the wall of a city and take it captive. Nothing bad in this Bible ever happens to wise people. Nothing. If you're wise, nothing bad happens to you. Now the devil, he'll make a run at you, but he can't conquer you. You're like a slippery wet bar of soap. The devil made a run at Jesus. He just never could hold on to him. People tried to shove him off a cliff, tried to stone him to death. Jesus walked through the middle of that. Why? Not my time. You have no authority over me. So you have to learn how to resist the devil. So the first thing I want to make is, no, I'm going to pray. You know, wisdom, long life. You'll live long. Jesus tarries, you're coming to my funeral, I'm not coming to yours. Ooh, that's good. So Jesus grew in wisdom, he grew in stature. What's that? He matured. Now everybody wants a mature child. Now most kids mature somewhere around, you know, I don't know, depends on who they are, between 8 and 12. Some don't mature until they're 30. God bless you. <laughs> and we've all had some of those like, when are they going to grow up? Now don't ever ask them that. Because that's a stupid thing to look at a kid and say, when are you going to grow up? I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> you know, they're going to grow in stature. So what you got to do, you have to start giving them some responsibilities, small responsibilities. Clean up your room, take out the trash, rake the yard. Learn how to finish something. And you're not too tired or too lazy. No, we're going to give you stuff to do so it's going to build in you. So your wisdom, you grow in stature. Then it says you grow in favor with God. Now, how do you have favor with God? When you get to heaven, I get to heaven, you want to hear one thing. When you get to heaven, you want to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. God does not care what I did. He wants to know, did I do what he asked me to do? And I've had kids do this to me. <laughs> Come on. Hey, did you clean up your room? I raked the yard. I saw that. You did a good job, too. Burn the leaves and everything. Did you clean up your room? I cleaned the downstairs bathroom really good. Toilet and everything. Appreciate that. Did you clean up your room? Got all my homework done. Good for you. Did you clean up your room? No. Then we got some punishment coming because I didn't ask you to rake the yard. I appreciate it. I didn't ask you to clean the toilet. I appreciate it. I ask you to clean up your room. When I get to heaven, God does not want to hear a list of what I did. God wants to hear, did I do what he gifted and called me to do? Because we're all gifted different. We can do a hundred different things, but are we doing the one thing God asked us to do? So I want to have favor. I want to hear, I want to hear, well done. Thank you, Father. Now, where's the stuff at? Let's go get some stuff. Because the Bible says we're laying up treasure in heaven. Well, some people don't have treasure. They don't. It's in the Bible. You know, these aren't go it's not government housing in heaven. The mansions are all different sizes. <laughs> I want a big one myself. <laughs> so I'd always joke with my relatives, I want to live a long time. Why? Because every day I'm down here, I'm trying to lay up treasure in heaven by serving other people. How do you lay up treasure? Helping other people. Who need it and who won't ask for it? I'm going to help you whether you like it or not. Because I'm a selfish thumbsucker guy trying to lay up treasure in heaven. <laughs> and that's real karma, but I told my kids, I'm trying to outserve you. You need to try to outserve me and mom. That's your job to outserve one another. People that are in the industry, well, not working in the white collar world for 12 years, three different companies, four years each. People got promoted by outdoing other people, not out talking them, not out lying, not out bragging, it's out serving. 
So you got to learn how to serve. And so when I get to heaven, I want to hear well done. And then the fourth thing says Jesus grew in favor with man. Well, this is the big one. Uh, how do you have favor with man? Well, it's called friendship. Um, you need friends. The Bible says iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. Proverbs 27, 17. But if you want friends, you got to show yourself friendly. Well, some people aren't friendly. They're just, they just what they are. They're like a tree stump. You have to learn to, Angel is the friendliest person I've ever met in my life. Ever, she knows everybody everywhere. I don't, I've never been to the state. She didn't know five people. How do you know these people? Well, we used to travel all the time. Well, I don't know them. I've traveled a long time too. Well, you didn't meet these people. I guess I did. And so, Angel's my ambassador everywhere we go. And so, you have to learn how to be friendly to people, even if they're not friendly to you. You got to show yourself friendly. Well, if it's not friendly back, that's between them and Jesus. I'm going to be friendly to you whether you like it or not. I'm going to love you whether you like it or not. And that's what makes great marriages. Because a marriage is a funeral. Hallmark's got the card all wrong. It's, it's just, a, I'm so sorry I heard you got married. Because if you don't die at that marriage ceremony, you're a half dead zombie. Because I, I, I only counsel Christians. I don't counsel anymore. Thank goodness I don't do that anymore. But in Oklahoma, I did it for 42 years. I counseled Christians who had marriage problems. So they come to me because I taught them the family. Well, they changed the state law, and I can't do that anymore. You've got to have a special degree for that. And so um, they would come, and I said, well, I can give you 30 minutes legally. I can see you for 30 minutes. I'll give you the first 15. I get the last 15. 15. So what is it? And they usually, they're real nice. They know I'm in their church. You know, they know me. I know them. Well, you know, it's been good. It's just little things, you know. And, and all of a sudden, about five minutes, well, then, you know, and he did this and she did that. And, and then about 10 minutes, and the decimal level goes up. Well, just like their mother and just like his father, and he doesn't do nothing, hit a hit, lick at nothing. She raps all the time. And the decimal level will hit high about 15 minutes into it. So I finally asked her, come down, come down. My turn. My turn. I had the last 15 minutes. And I say every time, I don't care who did what, when they did it, what they said, or what they said. I nor you have a time machine. We cannot change our past. So quit cheating, taking each other into their past. You always, you never, you should have. You, that's cheating. They can't change that. Let's go to the future. God's mercy and grace is new every morning, not yesterday. Let's go forward. How can we do this better? Well, sure, how can we make this better? How can, how can I change this for you? And you start being a problem solver. Matthew 5, 18, blessed are the problem solvers. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, but it's the problem solvers. Blessed are the problem solvers. They'll be called the children of God. What are you? I'm a child of God. I solve problems. Every day I get up, I'm trying to fix something. I'm in a fix-it mode. I'm married. I'm the number one fixer in my family. What you doing? I'm here to fix stuff, sugar. What can I fix for you? Leaky faucet. You know, we need a better lawnmower. You need to fix the drainer deal. Toilet not working. I'm your guy. I am Mr. Fix-It. Now, if you're not Mr. Fix-It, you've got to know how to write a check and hire Mr. Fix-It. <laughs> when I married Angel, I married Angel. Now, we've been, we've been around quite a while. And so when I married Angel, I told her, when we married, I said, I love you, baby. I'm telling you, you saved my life. I've loved two in my life. I've kissed two in my life. And Angel's right now, she's my favorite. And so, uh, it's just is what it is. She kisses really good. And, then, <laughs> and uh, so, but we got married. I said, honey, I need to explain something to you. Uh, I don't know what you think about it, but I'm going to make some mistakes. 
I don't plan to. I don't want to, but it's going to happen. I'm not perfect. So one day it's going to happen. I'm going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, and you're probably going to get upset. So I want to let you know ahead of time, I'm going to repent real quick, and I'm going to forgive real quick. I'm going to let the sun go down in our wrath. It's going to be real good. And so, but, and so, so we've had three major blow-ups in four years of marriage where, you know, it got nasty. And so when Angel gets mad, she gets quiet. Now, you've got your own deal. i got my own rule book. My wife, she gets mad, quiet. That's not good. What's she saying? Nothing. Not good. Not good. And then when she throws the hand up, that's bad. That means you go to your office, I need a break. And so I've had that happen three times. So every time, within an hour, Angel always come to the office and say, Joe, I'm sorry. Forgive me. For what, sugar? I love you. You're the gift of God for me. I love you so much. Come here, let's kiss. And I always forgive quick. And so if you don't learn how to forgive quick and repent quick, you get what we call spiritually constipated. <laughs> Nothing will move through you because you're stopped up. It's because you're holding stuff and you weren't supposed to hold. You're supposed to roll your cares over into God for he cares for you. So the friendship thing becomes critical. And so my spouse is my best friend. So if you have a best friend, you can tell them anything. Now, in your whole life, I'll just share this. And I'll close you. In your whole life, you may have maybe two friends. Maybe. Because the Bible says a friend is somebody who will die for you, not somebody who will get you killed. So if that person won't die for you, don't empty your whole brain on the table. So they're going to tell somebody else, you might as well strike a match to a gasoline lake. Well, that's going to beat you home. My kids will come up, Dad, I can't believe it. I shared something in secret, and they told. Well, honey, what part of that did you not understand? I was a school administrator for 10 years, high school. Kids would come to me, Mr. King, can you keep it a secret? No, sugar, I can't. <laughs> no, I'm trying to be funny. I'm telling the truth. I told them every time. No, sugar, I can't. You tell me, I'll tell 12 people or I go home. <laughs> I'll tell my wife after I get there. They're, Honey, you need to understand, no human can keep a secret. No human can tame the tongue. No human. You tell anybody a secret, it's going to beat you home, I guarantee it. Now, every now and then, maybe, you'll have a friend who will die for you. They can keep a secret. But it's rare. If they won't die for you, they cannot keep a secret. How are you going to get a friend like that? You have to be one before you can get one. So you've got to start showing yourself friendly before you ever have one. And you're going to have to be friendly to 100 people before you find a good one. Well, I'm friendly all the time. Nobody's friendly about it. Just keep working, baby. Put that seed in the ground. Eventually, somebody's going to respond. And it'll be the last person you would dream. A person you wouldn't even think would be your friend. A person you probably didn't even like. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, man. I've been to every high school reunion. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 45, 50. College, we don't know anybody. They all left. But high school, we still get together every five years. And you realize, when did I go to my 50th? Five years ago? Went to my 50th high school reunion, and about half of us are still alive. <laughs> Most of them died. Where'd you go? They died. Where'd Bidbo? He died. Where's she She died. Holy biscuit. Somebody needs to grab a hold of something and hang on. I don't want to die. I want to be here to the end. I want to hear the trumpet sound. I want to go up in that big thing. That's what I want to. I want to be here to the end. So you have to make your mind up to stay a long time.
But you got to realize, I realized that people in my high school reunion, my 50th, they're friends, they're people we became friends with and taught and still talk a little bit that I never would have paid attention to in high school. They were on my ball team. They didn't play football. They didn't play baseball because I was a sports nut. I knew all the guys who played sports with me. Well, most of them went whack because they're, you know, arrogance. Pride goes before a fall. You think you're somebody, you're nobody. Most humbling thing in my life, I spent three years owning that leather jacket, football, baseball, wrestling. I got that puppy loaded. I'm in my freshman year at college, University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. I go to a local high school ball game. Took a date, go back. Well, I got my letter jacket on, you know, that I got my senior year, you know, that I worked for all those years. So I'm sitting in the stands. Oh, Robert Bice, a great friend of mine who played lineman for us. He's down below me with his, his girlfriend. He looked back. Hey, Joe, what do you got on? What? Noise, it's a big homie. What? What do you got on? Oh, it's my letter jacket. You still in high school? <laughs> what? I thought you graduated with me last year. Yeah? Take your jacket off. It looks stupid. <laughs> and I took it off. Now, I cut the letter off and saved all the stuff, but I, it's in a cedar chest somewhere. Life keeps moving, people. Don't, don't build a fire anywhere because it's going to change. God's mercy is new tomorrow because you're going to need it. Because the exciting things that are coming up, you're going to solve new problems, uh, fix things you didn't think you'd ever have to fix, build things you never dreamed you'd build, have a career you never thought you'd have because God's not through with us. It's a process. So when you're a parent, I don't care what your kid just did. You just look at him. Bless your heart. That's Southern for your stupid, but bless your heart. <laughs> bless your heart, you little rascal. <laughs> and we've had to do it. Uh, I had uh, all six of my kids went to college on scholarship. Two lost their scholarship. It, two year, it took two years to get it back. So it took two of my kids six years to get a four-year degree. But they got it. Because I told them, Angel, I have the same attitude. If I have to drag you by the hair of your head, you're going to finish school. Oh, yeah. I don't care what you major in. You can major in water, bowling, and basket weaving. I don't care. But you're going to get a degree. Now, now I'm an old engineer, and I, I love what I did, but I don't know how to say this right because I'm in a great place. In my mind, those degrees were pretty much worthless. I have two of them. They're on my wall framed in my office. What is it? Two degrees. I got two degrees. Theology. What do you think about? <laughs> God's not much into degrees. He's into what you can do. Now I'm glad that my surgeon has a degree that he didn't cheat his way through medical school. <laughs> I'm glad that my accountant has a degree. He didn't cheat his way through college. I'm glad my lawyer has two degrees. God bless you. I want you to be meaner than the other lawyer. I'm being honest. So there's some things you can't, but most things it's just how you're going to treat other people. Leave everybody better than you find them. In your marriage, your workplace, in your community. People see you come down the street, they shouldn't want to turn and go the other way. Not like that you're here because you leave it for whatever reason. They just think you're a good person. You are. You belong to Jesus. He bought you with a price. Your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you have a very good life. 
You're laying up treasure in heaven by how many people you serve every day. So quit judging people. And if you've ever judged, just repent. Because Lord, forgive me for judging them. I don't know them. I don't know what they've been through. I don't know what kind of day they had. I don't even know who their parents were. Forgive me for judging. Bless them, Lord. Bless their mean soul. Just bless them good. Heap colds fire on their head. Be good to them when they don't deserve it. I'm going to be good to you, you little snot-nosed rascal. I'm going to be good to you. You are my, you're my theme for the day to be good to. You mean no good north end of a south. God bless you. Now, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to make it real because you hear it and say, you know, preacher said to be good. And you, not to them. I guarantee I'm not being good to them. No, no, that's the one you got to be good to, especially. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Every family reunion, we knew the ones to avoid. It's coming up, family reunion. Dear Lord, I hope Willie Bob's not there. And sure enough, Willie Bob showed up and brought two weird people with him. Oh, God. Because you try to avoid them, try to hang out with the, the favorites, and then they, they seek you out. And so you realize God's messing with you. Are you going to be nice to them or are you going to keep running from them? Because hell will chase you down. You can't run from hell. They'll be waiting around the next corner with friends. Oh, dear Lord. And so you had to be aggressive. And so we, we changed our attitude. I hope Willie Bob's going to be there. I'd call. Hey, Mom, Willie Bob come to the funeral? Yeah, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You have a sitting together at the table, okay? Give me a seat right next to him. Put Willie Bob next to me. And we'd sit right next to him. And I realized something. It's better to be aggressive than to run. Show some love. Be patient. Be kind. Because there's an angel in heaven that's got a pencil and a pad. And the Bible says, when I get to heaven, I'll give an account of every idle deed, every idle thought. An angel's right down my life right now. You think, nobody knows what I thought. Your angel didn't. He just wrote it down in the book. <laughs> so, when you get to heaven, the Bible says, I'll give an account of every idle deed and every idle thought. Even if I thought stupid. Ooh, that, Joe, that wasn't good. No, you need to get rid of that. So, I learned to repent real quick. And so I want to get to heaven, and I want to have my book with my name on the end of it. I want you to be able to open that book, and that book is soaked in blood. It's covered by the blood of my, my, my attorney. He, he paid the price. What are you guilty of? You can't read it because it's been paid. All my bad stuff's been paid for. It's, I'm debt free. Whoa. <laughs> I'm looking for the big house. Where's the big house at? Because I want a big mansion in heaven. And you got to have that attitude. Because we're living in a time where people think it's horrible to be alive. No, we live in the greatest day of human history. You and I live in the last days. God's Spirit's being poured out without measure, Acts chapter 2. Sons and daughters are prophesying, dreaming dreams, and having visions. If I could have chosen, if I could have asked God, Joe, when would you like to be alive? Last days. I want to be alive when it's happening. When your Spirit's poured out without measure. I want to be alive when things are popping like popcorn on a hot griddle. God's allowed me for whatever reason. He's allowed you for whatever reason to be alive in the greatest day of human history. So that's a good time to be alive, not a bad time. So don't feed on negative, feed on something good. Stay in church, hug your pastor, mow some grass, do something. Be a blessing. Let's stand up. We're going to do two things real quick here. Stand up. Bow your heads just for 60 seconds. Nobody looking. Just for 60 seconds. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Are you here today and say, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart. But God's been dealing with me, and I think I'd like to do something about that today. Well, if that's you, 
I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. Men do not save men. God saves men. But if you're here today, I would like to pray that 30-second prayer. I'm not going to, what I'm going to do in just a few seconds, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, wave it at me, and put it back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. That's all that's going to happen. And then I'm going to lead you a little confession. You're going to leave here born again. You're going to know that Jesus is your Savior. Nothing else is going to happen. So you're going to raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. It's that simple. Perhaps you're here today and say, Joe, I know I'm saved. I just haven't been living for God lately. But I've been stirred up a little bit this morning. I want to get serious with Jesus. Well, if that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer we're going to pray with these other people. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you've ever committed in a moment of time. He will take your sin as far as the east is from the west. He will put it in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sin in heaven. And God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from you. It will never get easier than this. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, said, Joe, that's me. I need to get born again today. Would you pray that prayer for me? Uh, Joe, that's me. I want to rededicate my life. If that's you on either count right now, would you simply just get your hand up and wave it at me and put it right back down? Joe, pray for me. I want to know I'm right with God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your bonus. Anyone else? Anyone? It'll never get easier than this. God does the saving. God does the forgiving. He just needs your permission. Anyone else before we pray? Joe, I'm not raising my hand yet. Please include in your prayer. Anyone else? All right. Hands down, heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you that raise your hands, we're going to pray with you, and God's going to do the two greatest miracles He's going to do. He's going to save souls and forgive sins. So, people, let's help them pray. Everybody in here, say this after me Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me my sin. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus name. Now, Father, for those that raised their hands up this morning, either for the first time ever or as a simple reaffirmation of faith in you. According to your holy word and their obedience, as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, blood-washed children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil is not their Lord anymore. They're your sheep. You're their shepherd. They're going to hear your voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. As they lead today, Father, surround them with the shield of divine favor. May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes. And, Father, bring godly friends into their life that will strike iron and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Praise God.